Good morning, Celebration Church. How you doing this morning? Man. If you're here and you're trying to figure out that doesn't look like Pastor Frankie, he looks like he ate Pastor Frankie. That's right. I'm not Pastor Frankie. My name is Brandon Bilbo. I pastor a church down in Homa, Louisiana with my wife and my family. And, and I'm really excited to be with you guys. I've had the opportunity to come um, the last couple years and, and be with y'all. And I've just got to start by just really giving honor where honor is due and take a moment and honor your pastors. Pastor Frankie and Allie uh, are really our pastors. I feel like we're at home today. And um, yeah, that's right. Come on, let's, let's give them some honor. Man, they're not here today, but... Um, such amazing leaders, people of great character and integrity, and, um, and they've been there with us. Pastor Frankie is my pastor. He's helped pour into me, and it's kind of cool to be a part of a church where you have a pastor who is a pastor's pastor, right? He's a leader's leader and, um, and pours into us. We planted our church about five years ago, and um, we're down in, in a little bayou town down there, and God's doing some awesome things. We've, uh, t- this weekend, we'll, we'll have had five five services at our church. We've got a second campus as well, and uh, about a thousand people that have gathered there this weekend. And we've not had a weekend where God has not shown up and people have not given their heart to Christ in five years, which is an awesome thing. But it's, I know that that's really a lot because of the leadership and guidance that I've gotten from your pastor and from him pouring into us and, and uh, being there for us in good times and in bad and, man, has been such a source of strength. And that's really what celebration is all about. It's about being a source of strength to equip you and your families to make an impact in this world. And so if you're here and you are a guest, uh, I'm sorry that I'm not Pastor Frankie. Uh, I will do my best to be as good as him and it'll be probably fall a little short. But, man, uh, I encourage you to jump in. And, and really get plugged in. There's enough churches in the woodlands that you can search for a church every week for the next year and a half and never get plugged in, never grow with God, never make an impact in your world. But if you give them a year of your life, man, I know, I know that you're going to make an impact in your world because they are a source of strength. Well, I'm excited to be here with you. I'm going to jump into our message today. Last week, Pastor Frankie brought us through the Fridays, the Saturdays, and the Sundays of life as we went through Easter and we begin to look at kind of where we fall in that, on those days. And today, I want to take you just kind of a step past Easter. You know, I can't come to Easter celebrating not just Jesus' death, but his resurrection and looking at the price that he paid for me without thinking of his forgiveness in my life. Man, he has forgiven me of so much. I'm pretty jacked up, right? And, and he has forgiven me of so much. And when I think of that, it really makes me think of how many other people I need to be forgiving. Like if he offered, freely offered forgiveness to me when I didn't deserve it, I think our appropriate response is to offer forgiveness to others even though they might not deserve it as well. And so today we're going to talk about allure. A lure that's in front of all of us. We're from South, I'm South Louisiana. We do a lot of fishing down there. And, uh, and so we'll, we'll talk about a lure today. Obviously, we do a lot of eating down there as well. But um, we're going to talk about a lure that's in front of all, all of us. In fact, some of us, we've not just taken the bait. Some of us, we're hooked today. Like we got the hook in our jaw, and we're trying to figure out how to get free. And I want to talk to you about how to get free from the lure of offense, the lure of unforgiveness, the lure of bitterness, because so many of us, that's what we walk around battling. And in order to kind of set the stage for the message today, 
I want to give you a little bit of an anecdote, if you will, kind of a story that will help us get the lens of how we're supposed to listen to this message. And, and I think this is going to help us out. So in, in Matthew chapter 6, as well as in, uh, in Luke, um, we find that Jesus, I'm sorry, Matthew 7, and then in Luke, I think it's 6, uh, Jesus asks a question. And in this question, it's something that, that I think we probably need to ask ourselves today. I'm going to synopsize it, but in Matthew 7, he says, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye when there's a log hanging out of yours? Right? Like, like, like we have our own issues, and we look at other people's issues. And this scripture was something that was reminded to me. Uh, like, I, it just came to my memory in, in an event that happened not long ago. So in our house, I'm the one who cuts our boys' uh, toenails. I, I forgot to introduce you to, to my family. Let me do that. Uh, I've got a picture of my wife, Rochelle. These are my two boys, Maddox and Marshall. And, uh, and that, that was last week at Easter service. That's how we felt with our Easter services. I've got a more refined one here. Yeah, that's kind of us. And Look, when you look at my wife and you look at me, you could be an atheist, but you see her and you see me and you know there's a God, right? Like that's, God has been good. And so this is Maddox and Marshall and, and my little guys, uh, they're at the point of this story, they were eight and three and, and I, I've got them, I'm, I'm cutting toenails. I got Maddox done, he's taken care of and I get Marshall in the room and I'm cutting his toenails and I get to that little toe and you know the little toe, it's really a weird toe. Like it's not... I, I don't even know if it's really a toe. It just kind of like hangs up underneath the other one and just kind of sits there and lays there. It's just there. And the toenail is such a weird toenail. It grows so funny. And I cut that toenail and something happened. I don't know what happened to it, why it was so angry, why it had a vendetta against me. I don't know. But the toenail flew. And when it flew, it was flying right at my eyeball. And like, I mean, it was coming right there. And I had this matrix moment where I was going, no. And I can, you know, but I'm fluffy. So I couldn't bend that, bend far, that far back And it's coming right at my eye And my brain's telling my eyelid Close, close, close And by the time my eyelid caught the message It closed just in time to catch the eye To catch that toenail in my eyeball That was fun, hallelujah, right? Man, a toenail in your eyeball. I, I'm freaking out. I'm I, I, like on the inside. I'm, I'm panicking because I've got a toenail in my eyeball. On the outside, I'm trying to be calm because I don't want to freak my child out. And I'm looking at him like, "Hey, buddy, won't you just sit right here and go in the other room and try to deal with this?" And in that moment, the scripture came to my mind. Jesus says that some of us have logs sticking out of our eyes and all I could think of in this moment is I've got a toenail in my eye I've got to get this toenail out of my eye I've got to do something to get this out so how would somebody have a log sticking out of their eye I think Jesus has really kind of given us this idea that some of us have allowed things to stay in places that should have made us uncomfortable we've allowed it to stay there for so long that we've gotten so comfortable with our sin We've gotten so comfortable with our unforgiveness and our bitterness that we've just held on to it and we've, we've grasped on to it and now it's become a part of who we are so much that we can't look at what's going on in us, but we can look at what's going on in everybody else. Today I want to challenge you to listen to this message for you. I know y'all probably don't do this, but they got people in South Louisiana, they'll come to church and they listen to a sermon for their cousin and their mama, and they listen to a sermon for their, their spouse, and they'll listen to messages for their children, but they don't listen for themselves, and so I know at home this probably, probably fits them a little bit more than you guys, because I know everything's bigger and better in Texas, I get it, but, uh, but listen today for yourself, because we're going to look at a lure of offenses 
that's before us. And to do this, I'm going to take you to Luke chapter 17. If you've downloaded the app, um, man, all of my notes are right there. And you can read along, not just on the screen here, but in the app. In Luke 17, verse 1, Jesus is speaking. And he says, then he said to the disciples, it is impossible but that offenses will come. But woe to him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he would cast into the sea than he should offend one of these little ones. Jesus starts this conversation and says, hey, I want to let y'all know, it is impossible for you to live life without offenses. And I know if we were talking to Jesus, some of us would be like, but Jesus, be a little more positive. And Jesus is like, I'm positive. It's impossible for you to live life without offenses. You're not going to go through life without offenses. There are going to be things that are going to happen that are going to offend you. And so what do we do? How do we deal with this? Well, the first thing we have to do to avoid this lure of offense is we have to prepare for the offenses. Number one, you've got to prepare for the offenses because offenses will come. See, I'm a person, God, I'm, I'm grateful that God called me to South Louisiana. Um, that's where God, God put us and planted us, and that's where our church is, and, and I'm grateful. I'm glad he didn't put me in, in, in over in California. Like, I know it's beautiful, I know it's wonderful, but, um, but like, when the earth opens up and swallows people with earthquakes, that's a little oh, too Old Testament for me, right? That's a little scary. I, I, I can deal with a natural disaster, but I want to know that it's coming. Like, like I, I'm, I'm not happy about hurricanes, but at least with a hurricane, I know, hey, y'all, We'll go pack the bags. We'll go pack the car. We get out of town for a couple days. Like, I know that it's coming. When I was in school, I was okay if there was a fight. I, I wasn't looking for it, but, it, like, if you wanted to fight, you let me know. Three o'clock, back behind the playground, okay. I'm okay with that. But don't sucker punch me in the hallway. Like, that's not cool. I'm okay if I know a fight's coming. I'm okay, I'm okay if a storm's coming. I'm okay if issues are coming that I know they're coming and Jesus is kind of standing here as a meteorologist today saying, hey, I want to let you know there's a hurricane coming. And her name is Offense. And she's in the Gulf and she's gaining steam and she's coming right at you, baby. So the way that we prepare for this is to stop pretending or stop expecting that the atmospheres and environments that we're in are going to be free of offenses. See, so many times that's what we do. We come into church and we just think, oh, everybody's Christians, everybody's good, we're not gonna get offended. And we go, we get the new job, and we're like, nobody at this new job is gonna offend me like they did at the last job. That can't happen because these people are new and they're around me. Or we, we, we go to the new school and we think everything's gonna be perfect. Like, we go into new situations and new things and we think that, that nothing's gonna offend me. One of my favorite things to do. Is, is to sit in premarital counseling or premarital training with people. It's one of my favorite things to do. It's awesome. My wife and I will sit with couples. We do this thing called Simbus where we, we ask a bunch of questions and, and we get to kind of know their personality and we talk to them about steps and ways that they could communicate. It's a, it's a really fun thing. But what's so much fun to me is sitting with a couple that's about to get married and they're just so in love that they sit there and they're like, oh my gosh, he's just so amazing. Like, I just can't believe. Like, because of him, the birds sing louder and the sun is brighter and like, there's nothing that's ever could be wrong with him. He's just amazing. He's wonderful. I love him so much. I just can't wait to live the rest of my life with him. And I'm thinking in that moment, this is beautiful, but baby, you need to remember this moment and remember how you feel right now. Because there will be a day, maybe two weeks, maybe two years. I don't know when that day will come, but there will be a day that he's not going to look so cute. He will have left his drawers on the floor for about three and a half weeks. 
He don't have, he's not helping out around the house. And like, like that man that you thought when you woke up in the morning, his breath would never stink and that the sun shines brighter because of him, you go wake up to see a CPAP machine right there. And it's only there because you couldn't stand his snoring. And it's there, he's looking at you breathing like Darth Vader in the morning. Like there's nothing sexier than that. <sighs> hey girl, how you doing? Like, oh Lord. He pulls it back and a big green cloud comes out from behind it. A halitosis just slap you all up in the face. Remember that moment that there's nothing that could ever be wrong with him. That he's just so amazing and wonderful, right? Like it's, because there will be a day that offense will come. There's going to be a day that no matter how fine she is or how wonderful she is or how great everything is about her, there will be a day she's going to offend you. It's going to happen. So don't go in expecting that there's going to be no offenses. Go in understanding that I'm a pretty jacked up person and she is a pretty jacked up person. Like I'm jacked up and she's jacked up and we're going to come into this relationship looking to make a great marriage and we're going to work really hard. But the fact is they're messed up. If you don't think that they're messed up, think about this. They chose you. Right? <laughs> Like, I know we don't see anything wrong with them, and we've been trying to hide all the stuff that's wrong with us, but, I mean, like, they chose you for a reason. Um, we're all pretty messed up. In fact, that's what happens in church. We come to church, and we think that there will never be an offense, but honestly, most of the New Testament was written because people went to church and got offended by church folk. They went to church and they realized that everybody that's in here doesn't act just like Jesus, that we're all jacked up people and we're on our journey to get closer and be more like him, but we're still kind of messed up. And so I have to come to a point where I don't look at atmospheres like it's going to be perfect, that when I get offended, that, that I take some steps and maybe that I prepare my heart before the offense comes. Not that I don't love like offense is never going to come. Like a love, like, like you'll never be offended, but come to a point where you... You recognize, you know what? My relationships will only get better where I water them. Like we look at relationships as so disposable. This didn't work out, so I'm going to cut it loose. The job didn't work out, so I'm quitting and I'm moving on. And if we stop looking at church and relationships and all the things like they're disposable and we invested and we dug in and we watered the grass, it might turn out a little bit greener. (laughs) Verse 3, Jesus says, take heed for yourselves. In other words, nobody can do this for you. Your mama can't do this for you. Your spouse can't do this for you. You got to do this all by yourself. Take heed for yourself. If your brother trespasses against you, rebuke him, confront it, talk about it. And if he repents, forgive him. Don't go live in life thinking or assuming that they're just going to figure it out. Like, we'll sit with couples sometimes, and, 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 and one of the spouses is a little bit more what we call reflective. Like, they hold everything in, and they've just been assuming for the last 10 years that their spouse is just going to recognize what they're thinking. A lot of times this happens where, where the, the lady just wants her husband to just, he should just know by now. He don't know. He's a man. He will never know. Like, he's not going to happen. We're not, we don't know. Ladies, please, look, something your husband may have never told you, I'll tell you for him. He don't know and he will never know, so just please tell me. Tell me exactly what you need. Like, tell me what it is, and life's going to be a whole lot better. Let's just communicate. In fact, most of the, the problems that we have in marriage, most of the problems that we have in our relationships just come from offenses that come from misunderstandings and miscommunication. Jesus tells us this 
second thing we have to do is we have to confront the wrong. We got to talk about it. We got to talk about it. We got to come to a point where we talk about the situations. Because if you don't talk about it, you're taking the bait. If I'm not confronting it and I'm not releasing it, then I'm taking the bait. I'm holding on to the offense. So I've got to talk about it. Maybe I can say it this way. You will never be able to release what you cannot confront. That's good enough to say again. Preach, pastor. Okay, thank you. You will never be able to release what you cannot confront. I can't let it go if I don't talk about it, if I don't face it, if I, if I just hold on to it and I just think, think about how, how all they did me wrong and all the issues. I'm never going to be able to release it. I'm just holding on. And what happens in that moment is you're tying your own hands. See, holding on to unforgiveness, holding on to this bait that's there. I've heard it said this way. It's almost like setting yourself on fire and hoping the other person dies from smoke inhalation. It just don't make sense. You know, you think about it. The person that offended you, they're living life, and they're not bothered at all. The guy that cut you off on the way to work, you're upset all day at work because this moron cut you off, and he don't know because he's just a bad driver. He cut off 15 more people. He messed up everybody's day. He don't care. He's fine. The person that offended you, that has you tossing and turning all night long that you can't let go of, they're sleeping fine at night because they're crazy. you all upset. So I have to come to a point where I realize I'm releasing them not for them. I'm releasing them for me. I've got to confront this. I've got to talk about it and deal with it. And sometimes I understand that confrontation may not be possible. Jesus gives us this scenario that, that you go to the person, but we also understand that in life, some of us are bound with unforgiveness and bound with bitterness from people who are dead and gone. It may be impossible for you to face your offender because they're not on this side of eternity anymore. It may be impossible because the person who offended you was an abuser. And confronting them would bring more abuse and more pain, and it may not be wise. But the best way that you can confront it in those scenarios is in a life group. It's with, with a life group leader. It's, it's, it's sitting there with a pastor. It's sitting there with a counselor. But don't live life where you're not confronting these issues and not dealing with it because if you can't confront it, you can't release it. See, you got to understand this. Forgiveness is a one-player game. The other person doesn't have to say, I'm sorry. They don't, like I know we feel like they owe us an apology. But we've been forgiven for things and a debt that we owe. Even if they never come apologize, you can still forgive them. Even if they never come to a point of repentance and changing their ways, you can still forgive them. In fact, I can find freedom by myself. It doesn't mean the relationship. Forgiveness does not mean the relationship will go back to the way that it was before. In fact, many times, you'll have to draw boundaries in your, in your relationships. There's a great book we suggest to people from time to time who've, who've dealt with overbearing or abusive relationships. It's by Dr. Henry Cloud. It's called Boundaries. And it's about how to draw healthy boundaries in your life. For some of us, that may be a tool that can help us. Verse 4, Jesus goes on. He says, if he trespasses against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turns again to you saying, I repent, you got to do what? I forgive him. God, I don't want to forgive him. 
but we're going to forgive him. Seven times in a day does the same thing. Seven times and just says, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, and keeps doing the same thing. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to let it go and to forgive him. That's hard. But the third thing, if we're going to avoid this bait and avoid this, this issue in our heart, is we're going to forgive, we're going to forgive, 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 and we're going to keep forgiving. That's what Jesus said we're supposed to do. We're going to continue to forgive these people. See, what we've got to understand is that forgiveness is really not about releasing that other person. They're sleeping fine. Forgiveness is about releasing you. So because it's about releasing you, forgiveness is actually one of the most selfish things you could do. Like when you let somebody go, they don't know you let them go. It doesn't matter to them. They were sleeping fine anyway. When you let them go, you begin to start sleeping fine. You begin to start finding healing. You begin. And I've been so amazed at uh, in here at Celebration, the stamp of approval that you've seen from God in the church in the last few months. I mean, in, in just a few months, you guys have seen over 200 people come in that were sick and seen healing, documented healings. Like God's stamp of approval is on this house, it's on your pastor's. But I think that goes to a whole nother level when I actually start letting go and start forgiving. Like it goes to a whole nother place because now God can use me because I'm not tying my hands anymore. Wow. Forgiveness. I've got to forgive. <laughs> it's the most selfish thing you could do. You're not saying that you can walk on over me again. And sometimes that's how we feel. But they owe me something. You're not saying that. What you're saying is, I'm letting you go so that I can be free. You go be crazy. You go do you, boo-boo. I'm going to be free. I'm, I'm going to sleep fine at night. I'm going to be all right. See, forgiveness is not a feeling. It's a decision. Come on. More than a feeling. More than a... Like, it's more than a feeling. It's a decision. In fact, when you decide that you're going to forgive somebody, if I can really be honest with you, you're not going to feel like you forgave them. Like you make a decision, I have forgiven them, and then you go see them and you go think, but God, um, like you pray one of those prayers like what David prayed in Psalms chapter 3, like, could you just break their jaw? Like I'm not saying like I need to do it, but like could you do it, Jesus? Maybe, amen. Like, but forgiveness is not a feeling. In fact, most of us as Christians, we're led around so much by our feelings. And there's nothing wrong with our feelings. But like we come in, look, when you were in worship today, you could feel something. I mean, the, the, the worship team is moving. Like you could feel it. And, and that's what we'll talk about afterwards. Man, in worship, I could feel something. Oh, pastor preached that message today and I felt something. Oh, they prayed for me today and I, I felt something. If it, when you get around a whole lot of Christians, they talk a whole lot about how they're feeling. And honestly, we start getting led by our feelings, but that's not how Christ has taught us to live. We're supposed to make decisions and let our emotions follow. Because one of the biggest liars in me is my emotions. My emotions lie to me all the time. They tell me that I should do this and do that. And like, if you don't think your emotions lie to you, look at all the hobbies you've had in your life that were great and wonderful ideas at one moment, and then, eh, whatever. Look at the relationships in your life that you thought were great and wonderful, and our emotions were tied up. Our emotions lie to us. So we have to make this decision, I'm going to forgive. I'm going to forgive. And Jesus says if they, if they come against you seven times with the same thing in the same day, you forgive them seven times. Like you keep forgiving them. In fact, there's another passage where disciples come to him and they say, Jesus, how many times in a day should I forgive somebody? Seven times? 
And he's like, no, 70 times 7, like 490 times. Like if you take away the eight hours roughly that you're sleeping, that's about once every three seconds. Which in our social media world today, that's about how many times you got to forgive somebody. Because you make a decision, I'm going to forgive them. And then you open up Facebook and you see that crazy little face and that post that they just posted on there. And so you get off of Facebook, I'm going to forgive them again. And then you get on Instagram and you see a picture of their perfect family and how aggravating they are. And then you go forgive them again, right? And then you turn on the radio and you hear the song. That reminds you of the thing where the time you were with them and then you got to forgive them again So then turn off the radio and you go down the street and you see a car that reminds you because it looks just like their car So God I got to forgive them again And then you go in the grocery store and you trying to hide behind the cantaloupes because you see them on the other side You over there looking like Lord I don't want to talk to them today I've forgiven them but Lord I want to cut them you know that I don't feel like I've forgiven them But I made a decision that I'm going to let it go I'm not going to let this bother I made a decision and then Jesus talks about how we do this and bring it even closer, like how, how we really get rid of this. It says it here in verse 5, the apostles then say to the Lord, increase our faith. Increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith as a grain of a mustard seed, you might say to the sycamine tree, be planted, be thou plucked up by the root, and be thou cast, planted into the sea, and it will obey you. Wow, what doesn't belong here? Like, like when you think about this conversation, they've been talking about forgiveness and offenses, and the disciples come to him and they ask him to increase our faith. It almost feels like the disciples weren't even in the same conversation with him. But I think part of the problem is most of us don't apply faith to our forgiveness. That's why we have so much trouble forgiving. We would not, never ask God to step into the scenario with us and help us out. So one of the best steps that you can do to do this is jump into a life group. Jump onto a serve team. Go on a missions trip. Do something for God. Let him start working in you. Let him do a work in you. In fact, I found that he does more in me than when I'm serving somebody than what I could do for somebody else. Let him start doing some change in you. Start letting, let, let faith rise up in you. And when that faith begins to rise up in you, all of a sudden you're going to find the freedom that you can to forgive. All right, so let me tell you about Wednesdays at our house. I know it's going to sound like I'm on a rabbit trail, but just follow me. Um, Wednesdays at our house is boys' night. So it's me, Maddox, and Marshall, and I pick them up from school, and, uh, and because I'm cooking, it's going to be something that's like at a ballpark, right? It's like it's, it's, it's something fried or it's hamburgers or hot dogs. Like we're just we're going to eat quick. We're going to try to do all of our homework, try to do at least all of it, right? And, and, and we're, we're going to go through the night hoping that we don't break anything when we're wrestling and, and, uh, and that I can get them to bed at a decent hour. And, and it's just it's guys' night. Like we're walking around. It's a whole lot of fun playing basketball and goofing off with the boys. All right. <clears throat> now, on Wednesday night, we're doing this thing, but there was this one Wednesday night, the beginning of the school year this year, that it was just like a special night. I didn't know what, what I was doing right, but like, I, I was feeling like I was winning, man. We not only did homework and studied for tests on Thursday, we started studying for tests on Friday. Like, we're building in margin for the rest of the week. Nobody broke anything. Everybody's doing good. The boys weren't fighting with each other. Like, we're feeling good. Everybody eats all their food. And then, like, I got them worked up. I, I washed, washed the little one and got, got him bathed, and he's out. And then, and then Maddox is taking a shower. And while Maddox is taking a shower, I went in. I put some dishes in the dishwasher. I put some clothes in the washer. 
washing machine? Gentlemen, let me just let you know one thing real quick. I know that you think Barry White or Marvin Gaye is going to be the thing that sets the mood, like that's the sound that sets the mood, but there will be nothing that makes you sound, look, feel sexier than when your wife walks in and there is the, the sound of the dishwasher that's moving over there and the sound of the washing machine rolling in the back. It don't count if you press start before she gets home, like, like, like way before and the machines have stopped. You got to press start right before she walks in the door, like let her hear that sound. It's going to be a good day in the house. Hallelujah. And so... I got the machines ready to go. I haven't pressed start yet because I know she's coming home in about an hour. Like I, I'm trying to get the boys ready to go to sleep. And I finally get enough time. I can sit down. I can respond to some text messages. And just about the time my rear end hits the chair, all of a sudden I hear this noise coming out the bathroom. And all I can think is like one of them fell in there or something. Somebody's head's busted open. Like there goes the whole rest of the night. Like what are we going to do? I go running down the hall. And as I run down the hallway, I see Maddox running out of the bathroom, stark naked, yelling, he's trying to kill me. And then I walk down in, the, in there and I find my three-year-old with a giant wooden back brush. Where he got a wooden back brush from, I don't know. How he got this back brush, I don't know. But he's got it cocked back like Babe Ruth. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He said, he pushed me, so I was going to hit him in the head. <laughs> what? All right, so I get them together, get them dressed, and like, you know, like boys are kind of easy, you know, okay, like, like punch each other, hug each other, all right, we're good, like tell each other you love each other and let's move on with life. Well, so Maddox gets dressed and bring him back in the room. I said, all right, guys, like Maddox, apologize to you, brother, you pushed him too hard. So Maddox, oh, I'm so sorry, shouldn't have pushed you so hard. Marshall did something I was not expecting. He looked at his brother in such a way I have never seen such an intense look in any gangster movie, like Scarface, any mafia movie, I've never seen it. Like, like I, I, he, he, he stares at his brother and like looks into his soul and mumbles something to him. He goes, nothing. I said, what? Your brother apologized to you. Tell him you, you got something to respond to him with. And he looked, I mean, just would not blink looking at his brother. He says, nothing. Hold up, dude. So I get down, I hold his hands. I said, look in my eyes and tell me what you said. He said, I said, sorry means nothing. What? You're three. Hold up, dude. Now, hold up. I won't lie. There was a moment in there that as a dad, I was like, that's kind of funny. But, like, I had to hold it together. You know what I mean? Like, I had to hold it together in a moment and, like, bring some peace and restoration in this moment. And it's really funny when a three-year-old is walking around saying, sorry, it means nothing. But it's just not so cute when we're 33 walking around with the same attitude. And we do that. That's why Gandhi says, I like your Christ, but I don't like your Christians, because your Christians are so much unlike your Christ. We walk around holding on to this, and the only way to really find freedom is to increase our faith, to take a step closer to God. Now, it's important that we understand what Jesus was doing. Jesus, in other places, he said, if you have faith like a mustard seed, you can speak to a mountain, and it'll be cast into the sea. But here, he says, you can speak to a tree, and it'll be uprooted and planted in the sea. Now, that's a powerful analogy. Why did he use a tree? Well, because in that day and time, uprooting a tree was a miraculous thing. Like, they didn't have stump grinders. There was no way for them to fully get to the root and what it says here in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, it says, See that no one falls, fails to obtain the grace of God. Well, how would we fail to obtain the grace of God? 
that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled. In other words, this is a root that it doesn't matter if you cut the top of the tree off, if you cut off the limbs, if you play with the leaves and you pull them down. If you don't deal with the root, it continues to grow. If you don't deal with the root of bitterness, it continues to, to grow and go deeper and go stronger. And too many times in church, all we do is come in and we deal with the leaves. Well, I'm going to forgive. We, we cut off some limbs. Oh, 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 yeah. But we never actually bring God into the process. We never increase our faith. Your faith, and the root will still be there. And he says, if you have just a little bit of faith, just a little bit of faith, I can get to the root. I don't need a whole lot. In fact, I look. You look through the scripture. He doesn't need a whole lot. He needs two fish and five loaves. He feeds feels, feeds the multitudes. He needs a cloud of the size of a man's hand, and he could flood the nation. He just needs a little bit of faith, and he can help you find healing in those places. May still have the memories. You don't remove the pain. What I want to do is I want to give you an opportunity to ask God how you need to respond to this message. And so here's what I want to do. I want to invite us all to bow our heads and close our eyes. There's nothing holy in that. Just that people around us won't distract us. And I want you to take a moment and ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. God, show me how I can respond to this message. For some of us, this response is going to be a phone call. Sometime today, sometime tomorrow. For some of us, it may be an awkward conversation on the way home. For some of us, it may be confronting some wrong. But for some of us, it's accepting His forgiveness. Because until we accept His forgiveness, we really can't forgive others. Some of us are here today, and your, your response is probably, Pastor, how, how can I, how can God forgive me? I can't even forgive myself. How can he forgive me? But I want you to know he forgives the guilty. He forgives us time and time and time again. In fact, in the Old Testament, he shows us his love by having a prophet marry a prostitute who was currently living in her prostitution. His life is this illustrated sermon that no matter how many times she stepped away, he would take her back. And I don't want you to know today that he'll take you back. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. He wants a relationship with you today. If you're here today and you're at a place where you say, Pastor, I know that I need a relationship with God. Maybe this whole church thing is new or maybe it's not. Maybe you've had a relationship with him, but you've turned and you've walked away. You've done your own thing. But today you're at a place where you say, I know that I need a relationship with him. I need to experience his forgiveness. If that's you, nobody's looking around. I just want you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with. Pastor, that's me. I need his forgiveness. I need to experience his love. I need his forgiveness. Amen. 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 I'm going to ask all of us to pray a prayer today so that nobody prays this prayer alone. Just repeat this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sins. I know that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And Jesus, I believe that you died. And you rose again for me. And I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.